Hey, has anyone here ever chosen to do a difficult thing? Does somebody want to share? What's the difficult thing that you chose to do? Yeah. What, what? Braiding. <laughs> Braiding. There you go. What else we got? Who's chosen to do it? Yeah, Mary. Go back to school after 30 years. What else? Yeah. Move to Guelph. Yeah, no, for sure. Hey, fair. I've moved across. I've moved distances. It's substantial. Yeah, it means... Run a marathon, yeah. Forgive people. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Yeah. Choosing to do a difficult thing is... uh, it's really an interesting exercise. My, for me, the, the, the most difficult thing I think that I've chosen to do, uh, like in a sort of acute focused way, was to, was, like Allison said, to run a marathon. That was my, that was my chosen pain, right? And, uh, and so the thing, when you choose to do something, why do you do that? Because it's, yeah, but, but why? Like, what's important to you that makes you do something that, that's painful? The joy, at the, end. the joy at the end. Conquering something. What's that? For love. For love. How, sorry? Oh, I, I can't hear you, sorry. Okay, so because the Lord told you. I'm just going to read. Long-term benefit. I have, you know what, I really admire people who are willing to engage suffering and difficult things for the sake of long-term benefit. There are a few out there. I haven't met very many of them, and I don't know that I would consider myself one. Um, So just being really super honest with you guys. So I ran my marathon mostly for ego. Mostly so I could have a story to tell and that I could join a club. A club of people that I really respected. I wanted to push myself. I wanted to see if I could do it or if I would fail. Right? So that was one of the things that caused me to do something um, that, was, that was painful. Um, I think that sometimes, like when we, depending on the scope and scale of what we're talking about, Engaging in painful things, engaging in difficult things, is something that requires a lot of motivation, right? It can require, it can either be a really strong felt need, but if that felt need is so strong, then are you choosing to, or are you, are you forced to do, to do something? Because that's a difference too, the difference between being compelled to do something difficult and painful, and choosing to do something difficult and painful, right? And so... I want to get at the heart of that as we contemplate the cross, as we contemplate Jesus' activity and what he chose to do. I want to, I want to be clear and to say, and we, we'll repeat this, that we miss the entire thing if we think that the cross happened to Jesus. If we think that somehow he got captured by people, by a governmental system that was more powerful than him, and they forced him in the chains, and they forced him in front of the, the you know, to, to go before the courts, and I mean, this, is, this is a 
really critical piece of our understanding of what Jesus did was that everything that we see there was a choice. He chose it. It didn't happen to him. He happened to it. And that's not just a cute little phrase. That means something really important if we're to capture the heart of it. Because what we don't want to think is that... Um, I, that's fine, actually. I'm not going to go there. Okay, so... Um, so Jesus chose to do a super hard thing. Um, and here's something that I think is, is really important as well. There has never been a more painful or costly choice in any history written anywhere. We might look at the suffering of, of the cross, and we're not going to go into explicit detail for obvious reasons. We have little ones around, and nightmares are not something we want to create in Sunday at church. Um, but there are, you know, there are lots of horrific things in the world, right? And we might be tempted to like compare notes, right? Well, this was more painful than that, and... It's important for us to know that because of who Jesus was, the nature of the mission that he carried and the call that God gave, uh, enacted through him, that this, this was l- for real the most painful, difficult, costly decision, period. It's, it's unrivaled. If we think that we can find language to help us to understand the scope and the scale that he took on, we will fail. That's an exercise in broadening. It's a good exercise. Like let's let's endeavor to fail at that. Let's endeavor to understand. Let's endeavor to be called in. But realize that we can't get there. We just don't have a framework for how costly that was. That God, that the author of life, would subject himself to that. So he made a very difficult decision. And I want you to know something. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. He says in Mark, he says, Papa, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. And what that means is there must be another way to accomplish this. Can't we do it that way? And it's important to me that we don't weaken that language at all. It's important to me that we know that at no point ever in the story of Jesus does he become an actor. He's not acting a part. He's not God who's acting like a human who doesn't want to do something for our benefit. He doesn't, he's, he's not false in any way. He didn't want to... He actually would prefer another way. And then he says... Yet not what I want to do, but what you want to do, Father. Right? Not what I will, but what you will. And so, without getting into the quick, you know, answers, I just want us to ask a question and let it hang there for a minute. Here's the big question. Why did Jesus do it? What was his motivation? Of course, we can come up with our answers, and they will probably be right, but they will be insufficient. 
because our language is going to fall short. But why? Why? Why is a really important question to ask? In general, it's really super helpful. Because you guys know, and kids, you'll know this too, you know that different people can do the same thing, but it means something different. They do it for a different reason. So kids, I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you guys have ever been, you've had to clean up your rooms because your parents told you your room was messy and you had to clean it up? Hands up. Oh, kids. (laughs) Most of you have your hands up. Okay. Now, can I ask you guys a question? Have you guys ever seen that your, your parents were having a bad day? Or was a special day? And before they even asked you, you knew that if you cleaned up your room, it would make them happier, and so you did it? Ella's shaking her head. Okay, so that's a great example of the same activity taking place, but it means something different. The reason is different, right? That's, that's the kind of thing that I'm interested in. Why did Jesus do it? Why did he choose it? Or here's another one. Gentlemen, how many of you have come home with flowers because you messed up in some way? Okay. How many of you have come home with flowers because you just knew that it would make your wife smile? Okay. Again, it's the same action, but our reasoning makes a big difference. Why we do things matters. Right? And so... There are some things that are so difficult that we might do or be called to um, that there's only, only one thing that is powerful enough that will compel us to choose to do that thing. And so we can, this is, now we're looking for the, the right answer. Does anyone know what the right answer to that is? It's... What's the thing that will compel us to do just about anything? To choose to do just about anything? Love. But that's also a complicated answer, isn't it? Because like I've been alluding to, what, is, what does that even mean, love? Right? There's so many different, so many different iterations of it. So many different kinds of love. So I, wanna, I want to consider this morning and ask the question, what kind of love was Christ, was Jesus, in his actions on the cross? And just to pull your attention to a specific, the way that I said that, because it matters to me, not what kind of love did he have, like a quality of love that he possessed. But what love did he, what kind of love did he become? Right? Or that he, did he embody in that activity? Because it's my, it's my contention here that, that when G, the work of Jesus on the cross specifically was not just a demonstration of his love, that the act itself was so fused with his character and his nature that it became, that it was love himself in that space. 
You know, 1 John 3.16. The John 3.16s are really good ones to remember, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? That whoever believed in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. That's John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 is remarkably similar. It says, how do, how do we know what love is? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So, what are some ways that we, when we think about, you know, this is, this is, so this is what love is, it's this action. Let's just talk for a minute. What are ways that we do that, that we show love to one another, that we become love to one another? What, is, what does that mean? It's an open... Prefer someone else over yourself. Yep. Listen to them. The practice of love. Let's talk about it for a second. There's a lot of answers. Uh, Sorry. Doing things their way. Unconditional. No strings attached. I thought of this, I thought, you know, by doing nice stuff, by doing something nice, that's a way that I express love, if I do something nice for somebody. Um, By showing a person that they are very valuable, like that's a powerful expression of love, right? When we demonstrate, you are so valuable to me, that means means something. Acceptance, accepting a person, right? By giving, by giving gifts, that's a way that we express love. I mean, we do that regularly throughout the course of a year. And if you don't think that's true, then, you know, how do you feel if somebody forgets to give you a birthday present? Feel forgotten or, you know, I mean, I hope that's not happened, but it's, you know, I probably, if we were to poll, we're not going to poll on that one because there will be carnage. Um, <laughs> Because forgiveness is also an expression of love. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one too, isn't it? Yeah, that's a huge one, actually. Right? Not 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 faking something. Um. I want to pull us into a very famous passage for a moment. It's something that we're probably, I would, looking around the room, guess that all of us are familiar with this in some way or other. It's the First Corinthians passage, the love passage, right? Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, isn't proud, doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. Excuse me while I just crumble under the load of the expectation of that. It's it's intense. It's perfect love, right? I decided to kind of work a paraphrase of this, just thinking about it. And by the way, um, as long as we don't like actually swap out scripture, which is a bad idea, I want to suggest that sometimes it's interesting to take passages that you're so familiar with 
you know, you've heard them a hundred times in a hundred sermons. Take the passage and try to rewrite it in your own words. It's an interesting practice. Try doing that with the Lord's Prayer sometime. Like you paraphrase it yourself. It's a fantastic, it's a really interesting way to, to be pulled into the scriptures. Like I said, don't replace the scriptures with that. Translations matter. But as a practice, as an exercise, it's an interesting thing to do. So here's my paraphrase of the 1 Corinthians 13 passage. Love doesn't force. Love is nice. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't brag. It's not self-important. It doesn't hurt other people. It doesn't get mad at things that don't matter. Love doesn't keep a list of what others have done wrong. It never enjoys seeing bad things happen to other people. Which I think our entertainment system, uh, uh, entertainment kind of world. You ever feel really happy when the bad guy gets it at the end? Eh, I do too. Love tells the truth. It never fakes anything. Love always protects. It always looks for the best. It never looks back, but it keeps going to the end. It never fails. It's an interesting exercise, interesting practice. Hebrews 12 says this, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's an interesting thing when I ask the question, why did Jesus do this? And this is kind of to Tim's point, you know, Jesus is on some level playing like the ultimate long game here, right? For the joy, for the joy set before him. So... So that tells me something very interesting. That tells me that in the bleakest moments, in the most God-forsaken moments on the cross, which we, talked, we touched on that last week, that there was in that space the ember of hope that was alive in the heart of Jesus. And so what, what is that? What is, the, what is the hope that would drive the, the most costly decision, the most painful decision, the most um, it cost it cost the the the, the richest I'm, I'm, I'm losing language here the richest, most powerful, most well resourced most wise, most everything person, person of God, there was, a, there was an expense that cost him ev- everything in the activity on the cross. My dad is going to touch on that. He's also speaking in a, in a few weeks. Rachel's speaking next Sunday, and then my dad's back in a few weeks to help unpack this as well. The emptying, the self-emptying of God that took place on the cross. He's going to unpack that specifically a bit more. But what drove that? 
Well, what he hung on to in the midst of that was some hope. What's the hope? Because if we can, if we can discern what the hope was, maybe we can discover something about the love that fueled that hope. Right? So let's think about that for a minute. What's the hope that's before him? What is in his mind? What is in his heart as he engages in this? I don't know how to be more Sunday school than to say, like it was, who was it? It's you and me, right? And not just you and me, but actually, actually the whole world is what he carried into that place. Like he carried the whole world, all, all of the, it was enough to encompass all of the brokenness. The, the size of this, the size of this is important because we, we cannot, do you guys know what I mean when I say we cannot circumscribe God? Like we can't circumscribe him. We can, yeah, it's an important word to get right. We, we cannot, we cannot go around, we cannot walk around him. We, we cannot have, like we, we cannot, this is what it means to not be able to measure. Immeasurable. It means we cannot get around it. And what happens to us if we, if we have an understanding of, of the hope and love of God that we cannot get around it, that it is so big we can't contain it anymore? What happens to our sense of, what, of, of the value of what's transacted there? The beautiful gospel... It, if we do not have the heart of Jesus in the, at the center of our understanding of the crucifixion, we, we lose it. Brady talked about this not so long ago, how, how the love of God is not transactional love. Right? The love of God, the thing that Jesus did, is not a transactional thing. We'd use words like that because it helps us to have some understanding of what was taking place. But at its heart, it's full of love. It is full of the relational love of God. And so this, to me, I actually love this simple little image of, of Jesus on the cross with a, with a pulsing heart. John 15, again, this is... Like we don't need to dig into obscure passages here because this is this is like the main and the plain stuff, right? Um, John fifteen uh, verses nine to twelve say this: As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that you um, so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. And my command is this. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. Right? This is something we've heard over and over again. I would assume. I certainly heard it over and over again. But again, there's the infusion of joy. Right? This is, this is something that is a motivation. What is behind the motivation of Jesus? Joy. Fueled by love. Well, 
I want to close this out very quickly here. I know I've, I've grabbed at a lot of different passages, but there's a thread here that I think is very important and significant for us. Again, in 1 John chapter 4, to, uh, verses, verse 18, it says this. There is no fear in love, but, f- but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is, is not made perfect in love. I've shared this before, and I probably will again at some point, but my first encounter with God, thanks to my next-door neighbor, who was doing his best to communicate something about God's invitation to me, it, it, scared, it scared me. Like, it was a frightening, fearful thing. There was, you know, I got dangled over the cliff of hell so that I would make a decision, right? Yeah. Well, the comment for those who are listening is that, well, it worked. It did, but if I'd stayed there, I would have remained as toxic as, you know, there was a toxicity in that. And so there was a process of being saved. I, I, would, I would say that there was a toxicity in that, and I think that there was probably some carnage that I saw by the roadside as well. Um, and this is, yeah. The thing was that in responding to that as my main motivation, I was afraid of God. Right? Like I had nightmares about not committing the uncon- or the unforgivable sin, whatever that passage refers to. Like I, that was anxiety-inducing for me for many, like much of my uh, adolescence. I was afraid of doing the wrong thing. And what I want to land with here today is to say this. Um, here's what I think it all means in the simplest terms. The cross means that you don't have to be afraid of God. Someday we'll do a, we'll we'll talk about the the fear of God as the scriptures refer to it. We'll talk about the holiness of God. These things are are that's also a thing. But at, at a core level, we don't have to be afraid of God because He has shown us once and for all that He loves us, that He loves you. It means that you and I can totally trust him. It means that we are so very precious and valuable to God. Right? He, he did this for us. We can think that he didn't do this to save face. Like I think sometimes we can think that. Like that God was intimidated by the amount of sin that erupted in his creation and so he did this thing to save face so that he could still be called good. No, 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 no. He did this for us. God is not mad at you. The cross means that God is not mad at you. 
that might cause some of us to wrestle. Well, you don't know what I've done. Well, you don't know what I've done. I'm telling you, God is not mad at you. It's not to say that he's not heartbroken, and it's not to say that he doesn't carry pain, and it's not to say that he doesn't deal with us firmly sometimes when we need it, but he's not, a, he's not mad at you. And finally, he's not like Santa Claus. Right? He doesn't have his list of things that we screw up and if we hit the balance of, you know, if our balance is right, we end up with a present and if we don't, then we're... That might be a challenge for some of us to really hear. I'm not talking about universalism. Like, we're not even going to get into that today. But if we think that God has a laundry list on us, I don't know that we've come to the foot of the cross yet. Because it goes away there. All right. So, God, I thank you that we don't have to be afraid of you. That your love, it surrounds us, but we can't contain it. Thank you that your love doesn't force us, that you invite us. That your love is not mean, but that your love is nice. God, I ask that as we approach the cross this, this year, as we, as we move towards Easter, God, that we would get a glimpse of the, of the joy that you set before you and the love that compelled you into this most costly thing that is actually without compare. So take us there, Jesus, we pray in your name.